Hello and welcome to the Huguenot Podcast, episode 61. Before I jump into everything, I want to apologize if anybody did not get the RSS or did not get the podcast on the RSS. I had a little trouble with that. Um, and at least one person said they didn't get it, but it showed up for me for some reason. So I'm just going to keep an extra close eye on that and hopefully it's not a trouble. It's not a problem again. The episode is still available on the website. You can always listen to it there. So I will jump into the intro and mention that my website is at hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. There you can find the podcast, the RSS, and a bunch of other stuff. So do feel free to visit that. And if you had any questions, comments, concerns, or maybe show topic ideas, anything like that, feel free to send me an email, and you can do that at Podcast at gmail.com. All right, with that all out of the way, unfortunately, Laura's not going to be on this episode either. We both just have very busy schedules, and um, we could not find a time that worked this month. So hopefully next month, I'll have him back on, but just me this time. Um, but I am still going to do a podcast, and today, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to be talking about mead because I like it. Okay, so where I'm going to start is one of the reasons I like it is because it's a very ancient drink, and it's not just in like um, the North lands and Sweden and Scandinavia and Germany and stuff like that. It's actually all over the world. Uh, they found it in Egypt, and it's like a very, very ancient there too. It's just one of the oldest drinks. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense because even something like beer, you have to at the very least have some sort of agricultural society because you make it out of um, malted barley. So you would need to have the crop and then excess of the crop. So you couldn't have something like beer in a hunter-gatherer society. Where mead, you could. Mead is very simple to make, actually. It's just honey and water. That's all it is. I mean, if you want to make mead, which I suggest anybody do, you really do just mix honey and water together and then add yeast. So you could see something like that happening in the wild, where there would be honey, which naturally somehow gets mixed with water, and then a wild yeast um, gets involved and ferments it. So it's a really ancient drink, which I think is cool. So when you and your friends and kins members kin members are drinking it, you have this idea that you could actually be drinking the same stuff that your ancestors drank however many years ago. So anyway, just this idea that you could be drinking the same stuff that your ancestors did so many years ago, I think is kind of a neat idea. And it, it goes back to that thing where... Um, in Austria especially, we like having connections with the past, which is why maybe traditions are important to to me. Um, we like something that connects us to the past. And if we can be drinking the same thing that our ancestors did, I think that's a legitimate connection to the past. And, and I think that's a cool thing. So that's one of the reasons that I like it. And then the next thing I want to kind of go over is, and this is alcohol in general, when you do drink alcohol with your friends, let's say, generally speaking, you have this idea that um, you're getting along together, you maybe have less inhibition, so you're talking more and laughing more and sharing more stories and, and learning and sharing more about yourselves which I think is a powerful social component that alcohol 
can kind of help with. It's sort of like a social lubricant where after you drink, it makes you a little more talkative. So you you talk more and you you share more and stuff like that, which I think can be um, very beneficial. Now, obviously, there's there's downsides to alcohol, and I will be going over those a little bit later. But um, I'm focusing on the positives right now. So those are some of the advantages, let's say, of of alcohol in general and and also mead would fall into that category. So you've just got this thing if you're hanging out with your friends, some of those advantages of, of talking more and telling stories and stuff like that. Uh, so I want to go into the telling story in particular because when I think of mead, I think of braggy. Um, Odin also, of course, but... Usually I think of Braggy as a god of of brewers, and he was also a god of storytelling. So you've got this god of mead and storytelling both. So in our lore, those two ideas are put together, and I think that actually makes a lot of sense because if if you are perhaps having drink, if, if you're drinking, I think that we all know it's more likely you're going to tell a, tell a story and tell... Tell a good story and a full story, and you'll keep telling more stories. So it really does make people tell tell more stories, um, which I think is obvious. But the one that's maybe a little less obvious is I think it makes us better listeners of stories. You know, sometimes I think we have the tendency when someone's telling a story to be thinking about how we can add something in or even how we can contradict the story and be like, oh... This detail doesn't make sense. Um, your story must not be true, or that detail doesn't really work. So go ahead and explain that. And that's not really the feel of storytelling. It's not so much a literal portraying of some historical event. Storytelling and history though related are not identical. It's about getting the spirit of a story out and telling a story there may be some incorrect things in there but that doesn't take away from the experience of listening to the story it's a story as a whole that we want to be able to listen to and digest and i think like the idea of listening to your friends tell stories while you're having a friendly drink with them it's more the idea of you are listening to the story and you're not trying to find logical holes in it or anything like that. You're, you're listening to it just to experience, um, just to have the experience of listening to the story. And you're really more open and receptive to listening to that whole story. So that's another thing where, like, again, alcohol in general can be sort of a beneficial thing. And you can see why the god of Mead would also be the god of storytelling. Uh, let's see. So the other big thing that I want to talk about is meat and the lore. <clears throat> so obviously I've already mentioned that Braggy is a god of meat, and he's also a god of storytelling. Um, Odin is also a god of meat. Um, it's said that Odin only drinks mead. He, when he sits down to feast, he gives the meat to his wolves, Frecky and Grecky, and drinks the meat himself. Now, the exact significance of that it, is interesting, and I'm not going to dive into that. 
today, but I do want to just stress the fact that Odin is very connected to Mead. So my point is that in the lore, Mead is a big part of our lore and and also our history, of course. Uh, so another thing is you've got the poetic Mead. We remember that story and... Uh, the reason we have poet the reason we have poets is because when Odin was fleeing, some of the mead fell from fell from his mouth, and that is what inspired the people to become poets. So that also brings in the idea of inspiration. And I I think that drinking and especially if it's mead that you made yourself, could be a way could be something that leads to inspiration. I feel like oftentimes if you're having a little bit to drink, you will feel inspired. And the trick is usually actually keeping that inspiration after after the session of drinking. You know, so easy, so often it's easy to say like, oh, this is a great idea. This is a thing I should really do. And then afterwards you're like, yeah, that's a lot of work. I don't really want to. Uh, so that's where the self-control and willpower comes in, is to keep the idea going afterwards. But the initial inspiration can also come from drinking. And of course, I'm talking about in moderation, because that's what I suggest. So we do see that there is definitely lots of mentions of mead when you're talking about about the lore. So I, I think that we have to admit that, and also true, it's at least something that's part of, at the very least, our culture. Uh, now, I don't want to say that our religion is the only one that appreciates um, mead or alcohol in general, because that's not true. You had Dionysus or Bracchus, who were Greek slash Roman, and they were very much, or he was very much a god of of, of wine. So, and he, he focused even more on the um, intoxication aspect, I think, than maybe maybe our own religion does. I don't know if that's entirely true, but he did definitely focus on the intoxication, and I feel like our focus is, is not on actual intoxication. But that is part of alcohol, and that is part of why it's important to people. So we're not the only religion that has a god of alcohol, but there are other religions which don't, and I'm thinking Christianity here, where it says drinking is a sin and all of this stuff, and you just you just shouldn't do it at all. Um, and I think we do differ from them, where we don't believe in something like abstinence and just not drinking at all. I was actually just watching a thing on prohibition, which is probably what inspired this podcast topic, but it, uh, <clears throat> prohibition in America had a lot of its roots in Protestant, I think it was, and they thought that drinking was a sin, and and uh, it, it had a lot of religious backing. If it wasn't for the religion of the time, I don't think the prohibition movement would have ever started in the first place. And that's something where we differ from religions, or from Christianity in particular, where they just think it's a sin, and we think that there's a lot of positive positive parts of it, and it's overall probably a good thing. Anyway, I, I do want to mention some of the problems. I think these are pretty obvious, 
and the point of this podcast is not a PSA, but drinking in excess is, is obviously a problem or can be a problem if, if you start getting to the point where it's interfering with your life and you're, you're unable to keep a job or, or a family because you're drinking so much. In that case, it would, it would be a bad thing and you would probably want to get some sort of sort of help and then in that case you might want to go to complete abstinence where you just never drank if that's the type of thing that works for you a lot of people who go through alcoholism do the complete abstinence they never drink again because they think they're going to be pulled back into it but i think some people who maybe struggle with alcohol can control themselves to the extent where they do drink just a little bit in moderation every every situation is different obviously but there's all i'm saying is there's multiple ways to come out of that healthily so i i don't want to ignore the fact that drinking is a problem but on the same hand or on the other hand i don't want to say there is a danger to drinking so we should never do it which sort of does get into my bigger philosophies on life in general sometimes things are dangerous that doesn't mean we should get rid of them or completely destroy them or never use them. It just means that we should be careful with them. A, a car is a great example. If you drive a car, there's a good chance, there's a chance that you will die in an automobile accident. The correct solution is not to remove cars from your life and ban cars because they have a lot of really big benefits like getting to places that are far away and you could never visit on foot. The correct response is to drive responsibly. And I think it's the same thing with alcohol. Drinking responsibly is important and is something we will probably all have to struggle with at some point in our lives is where the type to drink to make sure that we keep doing that responsibly. But despite the dangers, I think there's a lot of good things and we shouldn't just discount it entirely because there's some risks involved. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that. Um, it it kind of got me thinking about the prohibition thing. What was interesting is people used to drink just like all day long and like in the morning and in the afternoon and in the early afternoon and then at lunchtime and all this. But originally they were drinking like this 2% beer, so you could get away with that. And uh interesting thing about brewing beer is it actually filters the water, so it would be safer to drink beer than it would be to drink contaminated, unfiltered river water, which would be the alternative. So when the people were drinking 2% beer all the time, it wasn't really a problem. But then whiskeys and rum became popular and people started drinking those instead of the 2% beer. And obviously, you cannot drink whiskey or rum all day long and remain a productive member of society. You're, you're going to be a drunkard at that point in time. And that is what was happening to people. And, and there were families where the husband would spend his entire paycheck at the bar and then, you know, what is the mother going to do? Uh, domestic abuse is something that increases with abusing alcohol as well. So there were a lot of legitimate problems when prohibition came around. So 
if you had a religious framework that said, well, this thing, drinking, is evil, and you saw the evils of drinking all around you, you can kind of understand why the next rational step would be just to ban it and make it completely illegal. You'd be doing the right thing religiously, and you'd be doing the thing that keeps you safe. Personally, I don't think it was the right thing, because I'm coming from a different religious background, for one thing. Um, and also, we kind of... Hindsight is twenty twenty, as they say, and we kind of see that it didn't work. It just created more organized crime and, and all sorts of other bad stuff, which is why it was eventually repealed. There was, my point is there was definitely a problem, and we did need to do something. But I feel like working on changing the cultural attitude towards alcohol where it was not so much an everyday thing would have probably been more effective um just banning something and and taking people's rights away rarely works out well so uh that's that's an aside uh, so anyway, and, and another thing is I think there really are a lot of benefits to alcohol and drinking if it's done in moderation, like the things that I've just said. So the last thing that I want to go over um, is kind of the role of mead in ceremony. I've talked about bloats and how that works before. So there's a couple good things about using mead for ceremony. So one of them is a lot of a lot of what the bloat is, obviously the main thing that you're trying to do is connect to the gods. And mead makes sense there because at least Odin and Bragi do drink mead. So it's like you have the same drink that that these two gods also have. Um, also, as I mentioned early, earlier, it's one of the oldest drinks known to man. So the other part of bloat is connecting to your ancestors. So I feel like if you're drinking mead, a drink that your ancestors would have also drank, that is sort of connecting you to your ancestors as well. Uh, so in these two examples, it could be anything, alcoholic or not, Anything that you or your ancestors both did w- would be appropriate here. Now, sometimes you have the idea of like sacrificing blood, or and, and what I mean is like slaughtering an animal in the name of a god, and you're like, well, why don't we do that? Because our ancestors did that too, and wouldn't that be a connection? And if you raised animals, I suppose it might be. But I don't raise animals, and most of us don't raise animals. So the reason I prefer mead, and and you could go out and buy mead, and it would still work. But the reason I prefer mead, and I prefer using my own mead, excuse me, is because there is something special about creating something on your own. You know, any brewer, they start with honey water and yeast, and then they make something out of it. They make this mead out of it. Which is sort of a an exciting thing to do. Uh, you're putting your effort and you're putting your energy into it. And you're actually, you're not creating life, but you're fostering life. Because you're doing things to keep these yeast, which is, which is the little organisms that make the alcohol, alive. Um, that's kind of a cool 
that's kind of a cool thing. But I think the way it works as a sacrifice is because you are putting your time, energy, and money into it to create it, and then you are gifting that to the gods. So you're sort of gifting your time and your energy to the gods. When you're making a sacrifice of some sort, the actual thing is is not the most important part. Because obviously the gods don't physically drink, don't actually drink physical mead. The idea is um, you have worked on something and you have invested yourself into this thing. So then when you share that thing, why it's important is because you are sharing your hard work and sort of sharing a part of yourself with something something greater than you. Or, or even with the friends, obviously equal, but, but still you're sharing part of yourself with somebody else. And that's kind of a powerful thing to do, and that's a powerful statement. So I think meat that you made yourself makes a lot more sense than if you sacrificed an animal that you didn't actually raise. Uh, so that's that's where I'm coming from with the meat. Another thing that I would say is our ancestors have probably been, I don't have hard evidence for this, but our ancestors have probably been making meat longer than they've been raising animals. Because truly, you could have meat as a hunter-gatherer society, um, coming across it in the wild, uh, and then maybe figuring out how to make it from there. But it's something that a hunter-gatherer society could at least theoretically have, whereas you're not going to raise your own animals until you're an agricultural society, which is later in societal development. So I feel like we've probably had meat longer even than we've raised animals. But another main reason is I think the fact it's alcohol is important. The reason I think this is because a big part of ceremony and ritual is attempting to put yourself in an altered state of mind. And obviously, there's lots of things that put you in an altered state of mind. Alcohol is nice because it's legal, so that's what I gravitate towards. Um, But a big part of ceremony is putting yourself in an altered state of mind. And I think the meat in this case can really help towards that goal, which is important. So I don't want to leave that completely unexplained. The reason it's important to put yourself in an altered state of mind is your normal everyday life, you you look at the world in a certain way. Normally it's a very critical way. And, you know, I'm speaking for myself. I don't know if everybody's like this, but I'll speak for myself. In everyday life, you look at the world in a very critical way where, where you're always looking for, well, why why is this perhaps not true? And you're looking at it scientifically, probably, and uh, very as objectively as possible. And that is a good way to live your life, and that's a way that you interact with the world. But that's not necessarily something that you would want at a bloat. You would want to open yourself up more so that you would be open to inspiration from the gods or communication with the gods. Because obviously the gods, however you view them, if you view them as as actually existing like I do and you view that they're on another plane of existence, so to speak, you're not going to get a 
clear like undeniable connection to them where you just hear them talking and see them sitting in front of you. It's not not possible because everything is so different in the in the spiritual realm, let's say, where they're from. So you have to rely more on intuitions and subtle communications, which I think if you're in an altered state of mind, you're more open to seeing those. Um because a lot of your everyday life you sort you have a world view and good or bad most of what we do is try to keep that world view intact if we see something new the first thing we do is try to fit it into the paradigm that we believe and if it doesn't fit into that paradigm the second thing we do is discount it we just say yeah well that, that probably didn't happen i probably saw that wrong it's it's my mistake i just saw it wrong and only after tons and tons of evidence start building up do we actually consider changing our paradigm. People don't like changing their paradigms. They like to believe that we live in an ordered, static world that they know all the rules to. And I'm included in this. I'm not an exception. I'm included in this. But when you're in something like bloat, you don't want to be that dogmatic. You want to be more open Two different experiences, um, and I'm talking about experiences you can have with the gods, which are not something that you think maybe is definitely true. Uh, so anyway, I think the altered state of mind is good for that. It keeps you more open, more capable of being inspired, and more capable of communicating with the gods. Now, if you're the type that doesn't believe the gods physically exist, there there would still be good arguments. Um, inspiration is a big one. Oftentimes, drinking or putting yourself in an altered state will inspire you. And since we are in the frame mind of thinking about the gods, you might be inspired by... I don't know, you'd call it just like the idea of the God might inspire you. So you could still be inspired and you could still communicate with the idea of the God, even if you don't believe that's actually a physical, that's actually a thing that's separate from you. If you think that's part of you, you can still communicate with that part of you. And that's still easier if you're in a more open, accepting frame of mind which something like me can can put you in. And then the other thing is just a differentiator. Um, Now, I don't want to say religious life should be different than everyday life. That's definitely a thing I don't believe. I think that you should live your religion, so to speak. If your religion says questioning the world is good, you should not stop questioning the world except at bloats and then be a questioning inquisitive sort come bloat time or honesty is an obvious one if you're also true you shouldn't lie all the time when you're outside of bloat and as soon as you come to bloat you're you're honest and never tell a lie you should embrace that morality and embrace your religion and be it all the time you should always be honest you should always be seeking knowledge um Seeking knowledge is debatable. I I think it's an true quality, but I don't think that every Ossetruer would agree. Honesty is a, a bit more accepted, um, so I'll use that example. So yeah, you don't. It's not like you're just honest at bloat, and then you lie all the other times. 
so when I say that your re, your religious life or or this religious thing you do should be different from your everyday life, I don't mean the morality. I don't mean you should have one morality for every day and one real morality for religion. But what I do mean is when you're having a ceremony, when you're having a a bloat, maybe it'd be more appropriate to say it should be special. It should be a special time. It's not a mundane time. Like everyday life is mundane. Um, it's not special. It's just it's just life. And yeah, yeah, I know life is special, but it's just a regular day. Oh, I'm going to work. It's just a regular day. And something about bloat is bloat should be special. It should feel different because we are legitimately doing something arguably more important in bloat. We are trying to communicate with our gods and our ancestors. We're actively trying to connect with the ancestors. And that's a special thing. And it should feel different than I'm going to the 7-Eleven to get a slushie. Those two things should feel different. And the altered frame of mind, and then this works even better if you're the type like me who drinks very rarely outside of bloat. And that was not always my case. I certainly drank plenty outside of bloat when I was younger, but now that I have kids, I just don't have time. And it's kind of a big advantage for me because it makes bloat feel that much more special because the only time I'm really drinking is during bloat. And I, it's not like I even drink that much there, but it's just the only time I really have time to drink at all. So it's just another thing to make it feel even more like this is not everyday life. This is something special. This is something different. And I feel different when I do this stuff. So that's another, I think, that's another big advantage of of using mead in bloat, just that like mind-altering aspect of it. Um, and you could argue other mind-altering drugs would be equally effective for those things that I've said, and I'm sure that's probably not a bad idea. But the two things I would I would mention is, first of all, is it in any way connecting you with the gods and your ancestors? Is it something your gods and the ancestors did? Because that's a pretty huge part. And, and we have in the Heimskringla, one of the earlier books, an actual description of bloat where they mentioned, I believe, they mentioned that mead was used. So do your other mind-altering drugs give that? And then also, are they legal? Because even if I don't agree with a law, generally speaking, as an individual, unless the law is asking you to do something immoral, it's, it's usually better to follow the law. So if you're thinking about incorporating other mind-altering drugs into ritual, and I don't actually think bloat would be the, the best case for that anyway, I'd just check, with, check your laws, make sure you're not breaking a law, because that'll just get you in trouble, and I don't, I don't think you should probably do that. Of course, your decision, but I, I don't think you probably should. And quite honestly... I think mead works quite well, and I don't know if it's illegal some places. I kind of doubt it. I mean, alcohol is legal everywhere, right? So anybody listening to this in a place where alcohol is illegal just thinks I'm a complete moron and totally uninformed. 
And I guess that would be true. But I don't, I don't know of anywhere that alcohol is actually illegal. So I feel like mead is a good choice for the reasons I've already mentioned and also because it's a thing that's legal, at the very least, most everywhere. So, I mean, I think those are the big things that I really wanted to cover. Um, once again, I really will say, if anybody wants to get into brewing meat, it is a fun hobby, and you can find recipes on the internet. It really is just honey and mod- water mixed together, and then you add some yeast. So, it's a thing that's not really that complicated. Um, but I do think it's it's a very rewarding hobby, especially because you get meat out of it. And from the Ossetru perspective, it's something our ancestors did. And using something you created with your own two hands, in my opinion, is a very powerful thing to use that thing you created with your own hands at bloat, when that is your gift to the gods, something you actually made. And I will say, if you don't brew... You can just buy mead and use it. It's still a good thing to do. It's still a good gift. It's it's still uh, an appropriate sacrifice. It's not like you have to make your own mead for it to count. I think it feels nicer when you do, but certainly you can have an effective bloat with store-bought mead. And if you're the type who doesn't drink at all, maybe you have a medical reason, or maybe you're a recovering alcoholic and you probably shouldn't drink. You can even do another drink. You can do apple cider or something like that. Um, I mean, that's still what what we give kids when they come over. They they don't drink meat, obviously. They're kids, and they get apple cider. So you could do another drink, and you can still have an effective bloat. So what I'm trying to say is you don't have to drink to have a good bloat. But if you're brewing your own mead, and then you're bloating that. I, I do think that's an extra level. That's kind of kind of nice. Now, I do, I know I already talked about the dangers of drinking, but I do want to mention a couple others in relation to the bloat itself. So just something to keep in mind, especially if you are just starting a Kindred. It is possible, and you could see how, how it could happen kind of easily, that if you focus too much on the mead and there's too much drinking, it becomes more of a party than a legitimate religious ceremony. Now, what we do at our kindred is we have um, four four rounds. That means everybody will take four drinks of mead. And in that, you're not really going to be getting drunk off that. Most people are not chugging the mead because that's actually extremely rude. And my kin's members are not extremely rude to me. So we don't have that. Um, and I don't think most people are going to get drunk off of four drinks of mead. Um, it still gives you, what would you call it, a buzz or whatever. So it still puts you in that altered state of mind, which is the benefit. But they're not getting drunk because we have kept it to four rounds. But if you're starting out and you're like, oh, well, there's four rounds. Let's have a couple more. And somebody's like, oh, I want to... I want to say something about my buddy who isn't here, and then and then all of a sudden you go through like three bottles of mead. That's starting to become a problem, and then you're actually undermining the benefits of mead. All of a sudden, instead of in <clears throat> a slightly altered state of mind, which makes this a special time, you're in this drunk state of mind where instead of being more receptive and more open 
You're just not in control of your faculties at all. And once again, it's back to being completely incapable of noticing and taking in these subtle clues that perhaps other times you would deny. Because there's always these subtle clues around it, these subtle forms of communication around us. In a normal state of mind, you ignore them because they don't fit your paradigm. In a drunken state of mind, you literally don't notice them. Notice them. It's only in that like slightly altered state of mind where your inhibitions are low enough that you're willing to accept them in, but your mind is still sharp enough that you're capable of seeing them that you get those benefits where you can really communicate with the gods. And personal ceremonies, I actually very rarely use meat. I usually use meditation because then you can just focus in on, well, I'm going to take my inhibitions and my my criticism and my throwing out because things don't fit my paradigm. I can just remove those. Um, so meditation is another thing that's very powerful for communicating with the gods. But in a bloat structure... It's kind of weird. You're like, okay, everybody, sit down and meditate for half an hour, and then we'll start. You know, not everybody meditates for one thing, so it wouldn't work for that reason. And even if they did, it's sort of weird. Okay, guys, come over to my house. We're going to sit here for half an hour, and then we'll start bloat. I'm like, "Mm." it does put you in the altered state of mind. It would be kind of cool, but I feel like the mean thing just kind of makes more sense to me because you kind of also want to have that camaraderie amongst your kinsmen when when you're like we're friends we get along this is a thing that socially friends do together is 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 drinking socially friends don't get together and meditate and quite honestly i don't like meditating around other people i've never even done it it just seems weird so i do want to point out there are multiple paths to communicating with the gods. Meat is only one of them. I just think it works really good for bloats. But keep that in mind. If people are wanting six, seven, eight rounds and they're getting drunk at bloat, that's not appropriate. This is not a drinking session. If you want to have a drinking session with your buddies, go to the bar or go to their house and say, hey, you want to have a, you want to drink tonight? That's a fine thing to say. And then you can honestly get together with them and be like, we're drinking tonight. Don't use excuse, Don't use religion as an excuse just to get drunk with people. Um, I think that's obvious, but it's something that, that I wanted to, <clears throat> wanted to mention. And you know, you do always have the risk. And, and this does happen, not to me personally, but this does happen when people are like, oh, I really, I hear this person's meat is really good or beer is really good. Or even I just hear that Austro people drink a lot. So I'm going to join this kindred just so I can drink. And that's another risk. Something, and I feel like there'd be warning signs. But that's another thing to kind of keep an eye out. Because that's not what you want. If the primary reason you are at bloat is to drink, that is inappropriate and you're doing it wrong. That's not what bloat's all about. Bloat is a very sacred, special, meaningful time. And it's about communing with, communi- communing with the gods, the ancestors, and your kinsmen. So don't cheapen it by making it a time to drink. I guess that's just thing a thing that like 
go these with new kindreds would maybe want to watch out for. Again, I didn't really have to deal with it because when I started the Hugenhoff kindred, it was with friends, and I know that they weren't that kind of people, and I know that they wouldn't do that. One of their qualities is honesty. That's why I like these people. Also, you know, wanting to learn more and questing for knowledge, that's another big part, but honesty was also a part with me. They're very honest, and they wouldn't use it as an excuse to drink. So I was lucky that I started a kindred with friends, but for maybe people who aren't, or for maybe people who are more into growth than me, who are really actively going out there and trying to get people to join their kindred, <clears throat> something you want you might want to watch out for. So just, just mentioning these things to be careful of. But I, I think I've pretty much said everything. I want to end on a positive note. So again, I'm going to stress that mead is an absolutely ancient drink that has been around forever, and our ancestors have been using it forever. So to use it in a ceremonial ceremony and a ceremonial situation like bloat, I think is very po- very powerful. You're doing the same thing that your ancestors are doing. You're drinking the same thing that your ancestors are drinking. And you're drinking the same thing that gods themselves are known to drink. And that's powerful. So I think the idea of using mead for a bloat is just a great idea. And I think brewing it yourself is even more powerful. So I, I totally suggest doing that. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say. Uh, so yeah, I guess I'll say hail Odin and hail Braggy since I was just talking about mead, but everyone else, thank you very much for listening. If you had any questions or concerns, please give me an email at huguenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. Check out my website at huguenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. And I will talk to you next month. Rahel. hail.